welcome to Higher Voltage. Our podcast explores the ins and outs of higher education marketing and touches on all aspects of the business of higher education. Today, we are recording the first episode of 2021, and thus we will not resist the impulse to channel our inner profits and talk about trends that we predict we'll see in the next year. My name is Heather Dodgel. You have most recently encountered me leading the marketing and communications teams at two Philadelphia area colleges. Our guests are Jenny Lee Fowler, Director of Social Media Strategy at MIT, and Gabriel Welsh, Vice President for Marketing and Communications at Duquesne University. Welcome to both of you. Jenny, can you tell our listeners a little more about yourself? Sure. Um, So I think in the... first iteration of my career, I was a TV reporter. Somehow I took a left turn, ended up in higher education, and it's just been, it's been great. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, I lead social media for MIT. I create the strategy and execution plans for all of our um, uh, institute level communications and initiatives and announcements. I also manage our flagship social media channels, and I provide consultation and guidance for our 200 plus um, social media managers on campus that um, run the social media channels for our department labs and centers. And thank you for um, asking me to be here today. Oh, it's certainly our pleasure. Gabe, tell us more about you. Thanks, Heather. Uh, so I'll echo Jenny's sentiments by thanking you first uh, for, for having me on and and getting ready for this conversation. So I'm in my 25th year in higher education. I've worked um, in marketing communications for uh, most of it, but also in advancement, um, alumni relations, and for a brief period uh, overseeing um, enrollment in an interim role. So um, at both small colleges um, and a very large comprehensive university, and Duquesne is sort of right in the middle. Um, It's a nice size comprehensive research university here in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, as vice president, I oversee all brand management, communications, um, marketing, website, um, creative production, media, and so forth, media relations, um, but also you know standard messaging from the senior administration cabinet level. Because I'm a vice president, I'm on the cabinet uh, as well, and so understand the communications challenges and opportunities across a comprehensive university, and so leverage that and bring it back to my team. Um, which also makes you very aware of, of the kinds of issues and trends that may come up in other areas of the institution that are relevant for marketing and communication work. Let's take a quick break to say that Higher Voltage is brought to you by Salesforce. Today's higher ed marketers are faced with new challenges and must expand beyond traditional tactics to engage with constituents. Learn how Salesforce empowers institutions of all sizes to unify first-party data, build and measure targeted campaigns, and deliver personalized messaging across channels. Visit salesforce.org to learn more about how Salesforce can help your institution meet its goals. Okay, predictions and recommendations for higher education, marketing, and communication trends in 2021. Here's to hoping we aren't Cassandra's and our expertise is actually listened to and heeded. So everything has been in turmoil for a year. It's the big white elephant that's in the room. Between the pandemic that has been raging out of control since early 2020 and the current turmoil that is going on within our governmental structures, um, it's been chaos. 
Let's focus, though, as hard as it may be, given recent turns of events, on the positive of chaos to begin. What good has come out of all of the shakeup that came from the pandemic affecting higher ed last year? I think that uh, one thing that I have found to come out of last year is that um, social media managers really came together as a community. Um, I think that you know, no one understands a social media manager like a, another so, social media manager in like what we have to deal with day to day and um, the the uh, the extreme pressure on you know our like pressure and anxiety and um, pressure to perform. And so I really feel like this community and that this group as a whole um, came together in digital spaces and, and became a really, really supportive group. Um, and I know that that happened just on a smaller scale on our campus where our um, social media working group Slack channel was really uh, became the safe space, the space where we could really um, bounce ideas, bounce concerns, bounce um, stress uh, and the things that we've had to manage on a daily basis. Now, I hope um, coming out of this, like, Hopefully, the concerns of social media managers are spotlighted a little bit more and maybe brought to a, a place where there are people who can do things about it um, and, and and kind of like take action with the concerns or that we've learned. So hopefully it'll come a little bit, not just in the spaces where we're venting to each other, but in the spaces that we can take action. Um, I hope moving forward that happens. Yeah, one of the things that we found um, when looking at the statistics for the podcast actually last year was that our very first episode, which was about social media management, crisis management, and the mental health of our social media managers, it remained our most popular episode. Um, mm -hmm. And we're not just listened to by social media managers. I do think that there is a growing awareness among Marcom on the whole of what that job entails um, and how those leading departments um, need to support their, their social media staff. I'd like to echo um, some of the things that Jenny said right away, um, particularly in the area of digital spaces being a positive coming out of this year. For teams, not only, I think, to have those, those places to bond, but even in some of the workplace technology um, where we might have been less inclined to use those tools as much now when forced to discovering their potential, discovering how maybe that person you don't hear from regularly in the meeting has really great suggestions in the chat, or that person who you know thinks visually is able to post something in a way that wouldn't have happened in a typical meeting. So that's been very interesting to see. I also think, Jenny, you make a good point about understanding the work better. And I would say from, from where I sit in a global sense, the necessity of coordination across units was both laid intensely bare, um, but also made very, very clear so that vice president's top management can begin to shift in ways to make sure that we are better coordinated. For instance, we all know that parents are a very engaged audience and will continue to be so. In loco parentis is back for the vengeance. And yet at a lot of places, uh, I would argue that there are pockets of communication to which parents don't have access, either because of FERPA or just simply they're, they're not thought of first, that this situation has brought to the forefront. So now we can be thinking about ways to professionalize elements of 
whether it's student life, whether it's financial office communications, to be more in sync with, with the overall brand, with the overall marketing presentation. It will leave us with lessons about how to better coordinate our efforts forged in controversy, but then made better at a time when we can uh, make the most of them. Yeah, indeed. There's there's a certain certain thing to be said to being forced <laughs> to use what's right. in front of you, um, and and to to continue on with those resources that have been you know pretty much forged and then honed in fire. So when we look at all of this, and, and so our staff are perhaps a little more nimble, we're using these tools, we're still dealing with a constantly changing environment um, that's very unpredictable. And even when we think we've wrapped our hands around it, it you know, it, it lasts mere minutes. How do we plan our tactics then beyond the next couple weeks at best when we're in a constant state of sea change? So I faced a question of how, how we move beyond tactic to strategy. On a, on a regular basis, even prior to the epidemic and some of the other upheaval. Because, of course, there's always been upheaval in higher ed, whether it was MOOCs, whether it was various other social movements. Colleges and universities are a place where society plays out with people who are coming of age, right? And so you have to respond to how the culture shapes that. Every place, and, and, and admittedly, as a marketer by training, my answer is going to be brand, perhaps predictably. But I think. We have to continue to have the discipline to look at tactics in the context of brand. I'll give you an example. Chat and AI are huge. They're going to continue to be huge. However, balancing that's going to be interesting. We have students, Gen Z, who prefers to communicate through that particular tactic or that particular kind of interface. We have Gen X parents who are distrustful of everything, especially robots. And the technology is not yet perfect enough. And then Gen Z is its own influencer market. And so they're trying to work with an intelligence that hasn't caught up to them yet. And what is that saying about how you deal with your constituencies, right? So I happen to work at a place now and previously at a place that were both sort of very high touch, very relational. So how do we manage chat and AI? It's sort of almost certain disappointments, right? If anyone's tried to to chat on a lot of sites, it it just, it, it falls apart. And yet meet that expectation in a way that resonates with the brand. How do you make decisions about when to bring in that technology or not? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to meet demand and task? That equation, that negotiation between strategy and tactic is going to be ongoing. But if you don't look to brand and who you are, you're going to lose the framework by which to judge. Of course, um, this question, I always think of it very much in terms of social media, because that's sort of like the focus and the view that I take in. But I I just think that um, the biggest thing that we've had to shift is um, tone. You know, I think it's not necessarily the content itself, um, but how we present the content in a tone and way that is um, meets the audience where they are today, you know. For instance, in 2019, you know, we would do a happy Friday, you know, like, yay, it's the weekend post and not even really think too much of it because it's it's just sort of a an easy post to do. But that really sh- took a shift last year. Um, and it, you know, we we didn't use the word happy as much because it, 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 there wasn't a lot of happy and we wanted to be truthful with our audience about what the current climate 
was, you know, and we wanted them to know that we recognize that. So that sort of post became a, you know, it's the weekend period, be well, everyone sort of like, so it's the same sort of content, but the tone changed drastically. Um, And I also think that we, we cannot be married to our um, content calendars as strictly, I mean, just as, you know, just in the last 24 hours, we've had to just clear, just clear everything. Right. right? Um, So I think that it is more day to day. And, you know, while you keep notable, maybe notable events um, in the future and you plan for them, keeping the current tone in mind, I just, I just think that, the idea of the content calendar really sort of went out the window last year. Uh, yeah, I would echo that. It, it was it was hard to reconstruct. We found ourselves going, you know, increasingly back to what are the stories, right? And we so we may still have some of the very same protagonists, the very same people who best represent us, but we may talk about them in a different way or talk about how they focus their work in a different way. Because we all we all worked at places where faculty and students rose to the occasion whether it was around political and social movements, whether it was around the pandemic or whatever. And so I think another, another positive lesson too um, is learning how to tell the story, how to keep the story, how to honor its integrity and maybe express it in a different way or on a different channel, different part of the story. So those things all uh, are at play and I think will remain at play for some time. So that brings me kind of to the next line of thought that I wanted to pursue to talk about trends from last year that were new and what will persist or how will we evolve and modify them. You know, last year we saw great expanses of time where there was just nothing to grab onto. We were in the middle of the pandemic. There was no news coming out about it except, you know, our dashboard numbers. Um, As we look forward to 2021, we have vaccine rollouts and and we're you know taking a look at at next fall and crossing our fingers and saying how normal you know that terrible terrible word that i think no one wants to hear anymore um will will next year look uh, so when we take a look back at what we're using all the tools that we're using in marcom to build those relationships and and keep our identities um a float and a front in in the the middle of all of this, what's going to stick with us? Um, Or what do we think will be shifted slightly and then continue on? So I think that uh, one thing that a lot of organizations in in higher ed institutions really did was turn inward and um, solidify the relationship they had with their current audiences and their, their communities. It was a time to really reaffirm the trust, I think, and reaffirm the bond that you had with your current audience. Yeah, I think we had to start to figure out how to do everything virtually in order to remain engaged with our audience and even to remain engaged with local media and press, whether it's the president interviewing on FaceTime from his home as opposed to, you know, a, a more a quote unquote dignified setting, right? We we lowered our our tolerance for certain kinds of quality production and video. And then we found that it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And that virtual events had lots of people show up and had elements to them, particularly if you think about things like open houses 
or even alumni events or ways to engage alumni. We're going we're gonna to keep a lot of elements of that. Is it going to replace the face-to-face and all the things we want to do when we come back to the quote-unquote normal? No, it's going to augment them in a way that many of the technological things that have happened over time, right? Remember when email was going to eliminate books? It, it's going to add on. It's going to give us more flexibility with our tactical uh, moves. So that's going to be a, a net positive. I think that's what we're going to retain. I think I think one thing a lot of organizations did um, take this past year to do is to build, reaffirm, and really solidify, build trust with their current communities and audiences, um, because you know the messaging was very very critical um, to our sort of on campus communities and our, our our immediate community, and so reestablishing that bond and and that trust I think really helped in that space. I think. You know, like you said, Heather, normal, I think we're, re- we're really redefining that. And I, I don't know, you know, I've heard t- people say, go back to normal, new normal. I, I, I mean, I just, I think it's just everything has evolved and it's it's hard to think that we're going to return to like a, f- a five-day work week again. I think that we've really established that working from home, it, it, first of all, it, it can be successful. And it, it's it's working in it doesn't mean that employees are less productive. In, in fact, we're probably more tuned in because the work day is not linear anymore. You know, you you do your work in the time slots that um, you can and you're highly productive in those moments. And then, you know, if you're parents, you might have to sort of put your attention to your kids for a moment that is to help them with their you know, Zoom studies as well. But I think we've learned that the workday is not linear and that's okay. So I think that a lot of workplaces will make some shifts moving forward and and that might look very different in the future. I think just very specifically to um, uh, social media, like we saw a lot of uh, platforms adopting stories and that sort of 24-hour post that goes away within 24 hours. And so I definitely think that's um, here to stay. And I think a lot of us are trying to wrap our brain around how to a strategy for u- utilizing that very specific type of post and and how it might look within each platform, you know, because I think for us at MIT, we're really thinking about how to utilize the fleets and Twitter, but we may not necessarily use stories in LinkedIn, because I don't know that that's exactly the perfect fit for us. So I think we're really going to assess that and try to wrap our brains around that a little bit. And I, and of course, moving off campus, I think that a messaging platforms have really risen to help with business continuity and, and um, that feeling of togetherness and being in the same room without being in the same room, like for, you know, Teams, Slack, you know, all of those sort of platforms. And I just think, I think they're here to stay, right? Just as much as email there, we've integrated them into our daily process. So, right. right. So these ephemeral pieces, um, chat, IA, these are all tools that have really gained some significance over the past year. We've mentioned those. What are some other tools that that have come to the forefront over the past year that we think are here to stay? Um, and what do we see on the, the horizon as we're trying to keep on top of the ever-changing platforms that, that we have to work with? 
So, but, so, so Jenny said something that I think is relevant to your question about, you know, the, the nitty gritty, getting people in the door, getting checks in the door, that kind of thing. These social platforms have introduced a mode of communication that makes the content ephemeral when we've been spending years in the mode of making content evergreen. And so we've had to expand, I think, how we think about a content suite in terms of what is allowed to be ephemeral, what are we going to preserve, and so forth. I think similarly, we have spent years thinking about a content sequence to, or a communication sequence to bring in a donor who's management or bring in a prospective student. We've been better with students about knowing that there are times that they're going to engage us that don't align perfectly with the cycle of, oh, okay, send them a view book in the fall, they early admit and we send them, you know, all that kind of stuff. We have splintered our mode of communication across multiple channels and continue to do so. We have in this year removed the visit as one of those core times where we know if somebody comes to campus then we can begin to really communicate with them. The whole permission to text thing, I, I, I predict is changing. People are gonna be more tolerant to be texted. You're not gonna need that permission anymore because they're not gonna to come to campus and give it to you. So I think as, as we look for the nitty gritty of how to get people in there, we are both challenged by the variety of tactics that we can use, but also liberated because we have a generation of people who are coming of age in an environment where they are ready to engage you at any point, wanna do so on their terms, with parents who, you know, have have usually straddled that generational digital thing, and themselves are also pursuing their interests in the same way. You're going to have a rising set of donors, um, people who graduated in the 80s or later, who are going to come in and start making their first gifts, start making their first engagements, showing up at their first career days, who are accustomed to doing everything on their phone. I'll give you an example. Refinancing my house. They keep trying to call me. I tell them, stop calling me. I get so many spam calls because of my job. Just just please email me or text me. And so they finally started doing that. So and that occurred to me, students are gonna be doing the same thing. Stop doing whatever this communication stream is, but they're not all gonna pick the same one. And so that's where we're gonna have to be um, agile. And you know, we can't put all of our strategic eggs in one tactical basket. One thing that I've had to think about this year is really flipping social media on its head a little bit because social media is our channels are very public channels. Um, but all of a sudden the need to communicate to an internal audience became really, really important. And admittedly, we do not do that very well <laughs> um, at MIT, maybe in higher ed. And so, um, you know, we've really had to think, you know, to use all of our tools in our toolbox to try to um, get public health messaging out, which is a good reminder globally, but we really were trying to speak to our on-campus um, population. So, you know, I think this is something that I will continue to think about and struggle with. We will continue to think about and struggle with um, is how to reach very specific audience with very public channels. And, and I'm not even sure that that's quite a fit, but we're just trying to use all the tools that we can um, at this time. And while this is not necessarily under my 
purview. Um, but one thing we've had to adjust, especially once when we were all um, asked to leave campus in March, was that one big weekend that we have is campus preview weekend where our admits come and visit campus, right? They visit MIT. And this is a time where we really sell our institute, you know, and this is when it's our chance for us to woo our students that, you know, got in uh, particularly cross admits that are trying to make their minds between very, very elite um, um, and competitive institutions. This is um, a chance for us to maybe get them to fall in love with us, right? Um, But that completely went out the door. And we really relied on our current students to help recreate that uh, experience online and digitally. So whereas they couldn't come to campus, we tried our best through our students to build something, an experience to bring campus to them. So, you know, one thing our uh, students did because it's, they're very MIT, um, is that uh, they rebuilt campus in Minecraft. I don't know if you guys are uh, familiar with the game, but it was to the degree where they got blueprints of, I, I mean, I don't even know how, right? But they got blueprints of campus and they rebuilt it and there was it was beautiful. And so things that they just, that came about organically was folded into this virtual campus preview weekend. And, and the people that put it together, I mean, I don't even like talk about building, like flying a plane as you're building it. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I it just, they did a fantastic, remarkable job. And really it was because our, our students led the way. And I think that there's just going to be more of that in the future because they're so creative, you know, the, uh, what they do and they just do it in their free time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always find that when we listen to our students and lean on them for consultation, you know, the best ideas come out of those, those times. And so I think um, moving forward, I, I believe that hopefully we'll have more of those opportunities and, and that will grow. And, and I hope that stays. I think that's a very good point. And we, we know, well, we know that there are lots of places in higher ed that have varying degrees of um, comfort with having their students involved in the cell or the the messaging or so forth. And and yet those students are the reason we're here. And if they're here, how can we let them talk about that? And so I think, I think you're you're, one of the things that will persist Jenny from, from your, your point is places will have learned during this period, if they did a good job and they listened to their students, that it's okay, that, that they can help. And we know that Gen Z students, they don't want to attend. They want to be a part, right? They, they want to take part. Um, and that can be powerful messaging, powerful leverage, and help your communication tools. Going back to my first comment, then, that their stories, regardless of the platform, are animating how you communicate your value to constituents. Oh, I love that. I did see the the MIT campus creation um, when it kind of went through social media. Look at this cool thing that the students did, and 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 that's fantastic. I, and it is really nice when we're talking. You know, there's this specter of COVID that that comes over all of these conversations, even when we're having a podcast that isn't specifically related to the pandemic. We we just can't escape it with what we do day in and day out, and we talk about it. Um, but it is. 
neat when we have these pieces that excite us. You know, you, you, you mentioned the, the students at MIT and you can see all three of us kind of lighting up and the body language changes and, and we get, you know, a little pep in our step as we're talking about it. So when we look forward with all of these pieces, what are the things we're excited about coming up this year? I know with some of the work that I'm doing now, as as uh, basic as it seems, I think a lot of schools that have not fought to differentiate themselves because they haven't quite had to, they know it's coming, um, but, but it, they've been resistant. Now that it's more a question of absolute survival, given the the resource ramifications of the pandemic, um, that we're going to see a lot of schools really lean into that brand identity and find out what makes them different and start speaking to their students differently um, as our understanding goes with that. That's what excites me. I just put together um, a piece that I, I was creating with admissions and communications uh, just within the last couple of weeks that has a totally different tone and sound to it, talking to the students than the, the school has been used to, but but it's fun and, and that's exciting. And, and having these new ways of looking at it and having, I think, a... Uh, more open atmosphere on on higher levels of cabinet to this kind of change, which may have not been viewed as academically appropriate in uh, <laughs> less less uh, tumultuous times, uh, is a good thing. And, and I know that excites me looking out at, at what uh, schools are doing. Swarthmore's view book this year which had that great cover, which was like, we'd love to tell you what next year is going to look like, but we don't know. Um, that never would have happened a year or two ago. So seeing those changes, I find personally very exciting. So what what is moving you? Well, so I, to build on that, we, we did um, a research-driven process to develop better brand tools here at my university. Um, and we're, you know, rolling out all this in a very non-traditional way during a pandemic, because all the things that you would do, you can't do. No t-shirt cannons, no, no crowds of people thronging about it, no big, you know. So as, as we confront that, one of the things that you said, Heather, is, is very relevant. And, and, and the tools that brand work has now in terms of research, in terms of comprehensive look at all your constituencies, whether it's your community, your donors, your alums, whatever. You can go to a cabinet now. You can go to senior administration. And that whole academic question, well, what is valued in academic culture is research, proof, and review. The tools that we have now can provide cabinets and can provide faculty if they if you let them in to that process a clear research driven approach to brand that even though the way it manifests itself is fun and creative and all those kinds of things there's real research there's real data behind this and i think those tools make it very exciting and having better conversations among senior administrators and and some of the peers with whom i regularly speak at other institutions who are talking at their cabinet level, there's enough research to really, we're, we're not, we're not winging it. We never, we were never winging it, but it's so much more easy to show the math literally now than it has been for a long time. And so that's exciting. And you're also able to learn about its success on the fly in stronger ways and be able to adjust. And we have been now in an adjusting mode for almost a year 
And so we've built dexterity. We have understanding of brand. We have understanding of proof. And so, you know, I'm, I'm making lemonade here with the lemons, but uh, I think that's where we are. Uh, Heather, there's like so much uh, about just platform specific stuff that scares me. <laughs> just like, like there's parlor and clubhouse and voice. I mean, I, oh, but I, I will say that what, what does excite me is that um, it, it's, it's that transparency and authenticity have just risen. It, it's so that those things are so important now. And also I think that more and more those who really leaned toward legacy communication channels are starting to see the value of social media. Hopefully, you know, the social media is gaining a little bit more clout and um, the value of the social media manager is seen a little bit more. Um, I think that's exciting. I, I think it's it's so important to make sure that um, your social media manager is in the room because, you know, these people get real-time data. They have real-time data on whether messaging is hitting or if it's missing. I mean, I just, I, sometimes I'm amazed because, you know, there are organizations that pay a lot of money for that kind of market research and that sort of data, but your social media manager in-house just can look it up and tell you, and they have a keen idea of what the audience is searching. And so I, I just, I find um, that maybe people are recognizing the value of that and inviting social media managers into the room. And so I think that I find that exciting. I hope, I think there needs to be more of that. I think we're just starting to see the begin, beginning of it. Um, and so hopefully that trend continues. So as we look to wrap this conversation up, one of the things that, that I do always come back to is to ask my guests to forecast um, in very concrete ways tactics or tools that our audience can take away with. We all have very different sets of resources, very different sets of positions uh, within the, the Marcom units across the universities and colleges, um, you know, internationally. So with the assumption that not all of us have those resources in common, what would you say have been the most effective tactics that we've used in the past year that uh, departments should be looking to adapt if they haven't already. And then as we look forward to the trends for the year to come, what do Marcom departments need to be ready to at the very least evaluate as a tool for their own needs or adapt as quickly as possible? Jenny, do you want to start that? Sure, sure, absolutely. No matter whether you had you have a large team or if you are a communications person of one, a lot of us were sent off campus and or and and I, I know some campuses have repopulated, but a lot of us are still working from home and we're not on campus. And our subject matter for being creative and the content that we create really, it's hard when you're not actually in the space where you can create those things or around the people where you, uh, with the people that you can feature or create content. So that's, I think, remaining creative and just churning out content has been 
a big challenge. Um, and I think that more and more leaning toward sort of that user generated content, but within your own community, like, I think you really can lean into the content that is being produced by your amazingly creative um, students or different labs and centers or the schools. I think that when you really look to your community to uh, harvest content and see what you can do um, to help optimize each the content for different platforms, I think I think that that's something that is incredibly helpful and useful and we'll see more of that and we'll need to do more of that. As far as trends and predicting trends, I, I do get asked this question quite a bit and I always just this is so hard. It's it's like trying to say who the um, who's the first quarterback is going to go in the you know upcoming like NFL draft. Like who's going to pan out? It's these things are so hard. But for this year in particular, I do feel like Facebook has altered its algorithm again, and particularly when you're just doing organic or relying on organic content and organic reach and impressions, I think whatever Facebook has done with its algorithm has really slashed into those numbers for people who are not paying for posts or or, or not doing sort of digital ad spend. And so I really think that you will see more and more people leave Facebook. And and I'm not I'm not talking sort of at the flagship or the main university levels, but if there are department labs and centers and, or schools or you know particularly those that um, have a following maybe less than 10,000, I think you'll see them not finding any benefit from continuing to be on Facebook and they're going to leave Facebook and join LinkedIn because the engagement numbers in LinkedIn are so much better and they and they continue to increase and um and the algorithm is a little bit more transparent and i think people are moving to those spaces um and also that piece about speaking to an internal audience you know one one thing that we always question we're always asking ourselves is how, how do we reach our students with the messaging that we need to get to them um you know right now right and how do we make sure they're seeing it because we know that everyone gets too much email and um you know, they're not reading all of the emails and the manner in a timely fashion or when we want them to read it. So I, I just think messaging platforms and even text, like sending mass texts for reasons other than emergency, I think those are going to sort of move into the forefront or at least be placed on the table as possibilities more and more. So I, I would I would build on um, on what Jenny said, lots of lots of great observations, particularly the LinkedIn one, my former uh, role in advancement, uh, my, I was convinced it was the most underutilized platform. Um, so good to hear what you're doing. I think one of the, one of the things that you're going to have to do going into this, this coming year is to, to the extent you have any brand guidelines and research at all, including if, even if it's only what your social media manager is seeing and your, your web analytics are saying and satisfaction surveys, whatever, even if it's not, you haven't hired a firm or whatever, but whatever research you have on your brand that is the most recent, look at it with a skeptical eye, evaluate it, and make sure you're on top of it in terms of, of what it's saying, because your constituency just changed. They may be the same people, but what they value, I mean, safety is going to be top of the cell right now. And what are your stories that say that without you know guaranteeing everyone's going to be safe? Because it's unrealistic. Uh, so I think I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to look at 
I think another thing, and I, I mentioned it early on in the conversation, but I'll stress it again because I think it's important. I think we need to, uh, wherever you are, evaluate to the extent possible and, and adapt and professionalize your student life communications. It's like once you're inside the university. I think, you know, we've professionalized advancement and enrollment. And so you have three years of, of I love you, please come here. You have 50 years of I love you, please give us money. And you have four years of do what I say. And I think it's a real brand building missed opportunity for a lot of places to build a brand just organically because their faculty are there. Their, their people are good. They're doing good work. But your communications now, particularly with a large portion of your campus virtual Look at how to professionalize um, and, and bring around student student life communications, even if they're just following here's three rules or, or whatever it may be. Anything you can do to make that stronger is going to be help for you in the coming year. And I think finally, um, this builds on something that Jenny said as well. Be ready for video dexterity, not only from user generated content, but different ways to do things, knowing that you can't necessarily get the campus. How can you repurpose photographs? Be okay with people talking on Zoom or their phone. Um, a lot of places have already been comfortable with that, depending on the milieu, but I think it's going to be a lot more forgiving, even in your most formal contexts, to have people potentially coming in with Zoom or, or iPhone content. And then how are you dexterous in how you chop those bits up, use them, share them across multiple platforms, um, et cetera? You, you know what? I think one big thing that really came out of 2020 in social social media is that we have constantly been in the column or the lane of like post, 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 post. Like we are constantly like it, it's a steady stream and um, we were so used to keeping it going for so long that 2020 was really the first year when we found value in pausing. It was just mm -hmm. like, let's just do it. We don't need to be a part of this conversation right now, or, or, or just to say, you know, before we kind of trip on ourselves and, and accidentally post something that will not hit well, right in this space and time, let's just pause on all of that. And people have said things like go dark or just clear the queue, or, I mean, whatever sort of term you want to use. I think that we have learned that um, there First of all, it is okay to press pause in social media, and sometimes there is more value in it. And this is really the first time we have learned, experienced, and embraced that. I do think it is interesting. I mean, that that can be extrapolated beyond social media, too. In a year that we've needed to over-communicate, we have also needed to learn when to pull back um, so the over-communication does not become white noise that nobody's paying attention to. Uh, well, so I think social media is a microcosm of that in, in a bigger conversation that we as communicators need to keep in mind. Well, it's also split out which conversations it's okay to over-communicate on and which not. So if I've read one paper, I've read 10 this year that said everything about being mindful and respectful and pausing and so forth is true, asterisk COVID. Um, and I mean, you, we, we literally, I think at one point uh, during all of this, were sent, sent two emails a day for a week, but they were needed for some of the logistics that went into the time and movement. And so, I, I, like I said, I've read a number of papers that have said this is the one subject on which you almost, almost cannot over communicate. Um, and so, I think it's going to be 
you know, we have we work with plenty of people who think their message is the most important one. And so what they take from the lesson of COVID, I think, has to be attenuated through the professionals to say that, yeah, this was a pandemic. Um, the next speaker who's coming to your department is not quite the same. We don't need to send an email every day. So I, I think I think we want to make sure people don't um, misunderstand this particular exception that proves the rule. Yeah, ditto, 100 percent. Like there there was no there was no over communicating when it came to COVID. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think in everything else, and I, I know that I talked about tone earlier, but it was just copy was so vital because out of 2020, there are so many trigger words now, yes. like words that actually trigger um, a negative, like knee jerk response in people. And if you were really listening to your audiences, you know what those trigger words are. And mm -hmm. that, and I learned that that was vitally important as we continue to write posts and write copy, you know, for our social media posts. Um, I won't go into what those are because I don't want to trigger any negative feelings here. <laughs> sure. Well, but. it's a whole other discussion too, I think, you know, and, the, and COVID was over communicate, but we also had sort of, you know, a reemergence of essentially the second civil rights movement, which required honest communication, earnest communication in a way, but then also space for people to process work and not necessarily institutionally butt in on every single thing. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end since we're all in complete agreement that that is a huge lesson and trend uh, from the past year that we need to move forward with. When we wrap up these podcasts, um, we do like to take a, a hard turn and talk about something completely different in the immortal words of a certain flying troop. So many of our colleagues cultivate creative sides in addition to their day-to-day -day Marcom jobs. Um, and so I want to pick your brains about what that looks like for you. Uh, Jenny, you recently shared that you took a stand-up comedy course. Tell us I more. Um, I think it was just maybe like the third month of, of being um, self-quarantined and um, at home and um, everything was starting to look the same, same, same. And um I don't know, stand up comedy always has interested me in a way because it it's still writing. It's really I feel like they're some of the best writers, but the delivery, it's public speaking in a totally different sort of sense. Um, first of all, I just wanted to challenge myself. I, I, I always tell people it's important to do something that scares you a little bit um, because that's sort of where the growth happens. And I needed a creative outlet and, you know, jolt my system a little bit. And, and we did, we had to put together a five minute set at the end and I invited my team <laughs> <laughs> which is could have been dangerous, but it was great. I mean, thankfully we all got a laugh out of it. Uh, you know, people found it funny. Um, and it, it was, it was great. It was a great, a great bonding moment for my team. And um, it was something that I felt like I had accomplished, you know, and, and it was, there weren't a lot of moments where you felt good about something this past year. So I, I think it kind of checked the boxes that I needed checked. I love that. Did it check them for good or can we expect to see you at our local comedy shack sometime soon? <laughs> I, uh, 
you know, I think it'll always be some, it, it did sort of light a fire in me, you know? Um, I think I did enjoy it and I felt like I could do it. I, I think the next thing I'm sort of eyeing is maybe an in, improv class, but I feel like you, you need to be in person. And that's a lot scarier to tell you the truth, that improv, improvisation. But, you know, maybe that's sort of the next scary thing that I will will try and approach. The next scary thing I will do is go into the office. Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> there is that. Uh, Gabe, you are a writer. So I, and you have published several books of wonderful poetry. Uh, mm-hmm. What's on top for you this year? Tell us where you are right now. So, I, you know, it, it's been hard to write with all the things uh, on, on deck and on my mind. But it is it remains sort of the thing that starts my days. Most days, sometimes it's a call to president, but most days it's it's writing. Um, but I'm 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 pleased that uh, this year in October my first collection of short stories will be published. Uh, it's called Ground Scratchers. It comes out with Tolson Books in October, um, and I'm very much looking forward uh, to seeing that come into the world. Um, in addition to the books of poetry, so that kind of writing I, I do early in the day before I'm polluted with phrases like strategic excellence initiative. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to do and keep myself real and grounded and all that. Is Ground Scratchers, is it informed at all by the year's past experiences or is it just totally apart it is, from it? It's totally apart from it. I, I worked through, um, high school and college and part of graduate school as a landscaper. And it was a tone of derision directed at another landscaper by a sort of trendy urban Zen garden designer dude. Um, then when I heard that, a story came out of it, which you'll have to wait till October to read, but it is also a fairly memorable word as a title and so forth. Yeah. Thank you for indulging my sure. question. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I can't wait. Short stories are my favorite. So I'm very, very excited about this. Gabe and Jenny, is there somewhere our listeners could reach out to continue conversations with you? Gabe? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter uh, at, at Gabriel Welsh. Same. I am on LinkedIn and um, also on Twitter at V Jenny Lee. And Lee is L-I. Jenny and Gabe, we are so thankful that you could sit and chat with us today. We're looking forward to more great conversations with higher ed thought leaders in the weeks and months to come. If you'd like to explore our topic further, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at hdotchel. 